turn this on right now. There we go. We're in business. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and let's open with prayer. I got an agenda for us this morning, and then we can get started. So let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word, Lord. I'm just so grateful uh, that you have given it to us, Lord, and then that you have, uh, through your church, Lord, just revealed uh, in your word, Lord, and just to, to all the saints, Lord, just revealed yourself and uh, taught us so much about what you're doing, Lord, what you're doing in the world, what your plans are, Lord. And I pray that as we read uh, through Ephesians, that you, Holy Spirit, would just help us to see that you would teach us and guide us um, as we navigate this, Lord. We pray most of all that you would, uh, through this, Lord, and by your Spirit, that you would change us, or that you would change our hearts, Lord, and conform us to the image of Christ. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. All right, so just uh, to start, I'm just curious, is it, what, what have your all thoughts been so far, just Ephesians in general? I, nobody here, this is like their first time exposed to Ephesians, or I'm sure, but uh, just any, any new insights or anything that's come up through the discussions? Nothing? This is not really an Ephesians-specific thing, but from week one, uh, when he when Jim was talking about um, the massive run-on sentences, as we would characterize them, mm-hmm. um, it was very helpful just to be told, find the main subject, the main verb, and then kind of look at the rest of it as, he didn't quite say it like this, but I was chatting with him later, uh, as like bullet points supporting the thesis yeah. up above. That, just that is great for a lot of Paul's stuff. Yeah. Because I get lost in the weeds way too easy. I'm kind of like, ah, whatever, you know. Um, he needs Grammarly in a bad way. Um, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank God for Grammarly, right? <laughs> oh, my mom. <laughs> my mom's an English teacher. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Just digging in to some of the individual Greek words and okay. kind of expounding yeah. on the definition and the meaning okay. has been yeah. helpful. Awesome. Cool. Often people think Ephesians is what God did for us, but yeah. going back to that, the subject really is God and yeah. magnifying who he is and taking the focus off of ourselves really yeah. changes your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really helpful. Daniel, I know you got something to say, buddy. Yeah. That dude's a, like a little powerhouse right there. Um, Nuclear plant. <laughs> <laughs> and he's red, too. So. I think the most impactful thing for me uh, so far uh, is seeing just how important it is to have a correct view of God first um, and how Ephesians, and Ephesians Paul really focuses on that. Yeah. God lives 
Excellent. So do you want to teach next week? Are you up for it? I think that sounds like a good idea. Okay, all right. Maybe next. Maybe the one after that then. All right, we'll talk. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Is there any, any, other, any other thoughts? Okay, all right. Well, you know, uh, Ephesians is kind of one of these books that can go really un- underappreciated. Uh, we think, I think a lot of us probably, when we think about what book in the New Testament is like Paul's magnum opus, like what is the one where Paul lays it all out on the line and says, this is what you need to know. And what, what would most of us think? Romans. Romans. But we never say Ephesians. If you think about it, like Ephesians, really, Ephesians is the one that really takes you and bolts you down to the basics. And if you ask me, having spent a little bit of time there, uh, I I think Ephesians is where Paul lays it all on the line. Uh, Romans is definitely there for sure. Uh, but when you think about uh, what is Paul getting at, in those two those two documents, Ephesians seems to be the one where he's really placing his heart on the table. So today, what I want to do, whoop, we got to get the text up there. There we go. I want us to think about a couple of three three things really. Uh, today, I want, and this will be different, so I apologize for the disruption here. Um, not only am I not Jim, but I'm also going to take a little bit of a different approach to help with what Jim's doing, um, which is walking us through the text. So today I want us to think about Ephesus as a real place. Uh, I mean, how many of you have looked it up in Google Maps or something like that? Have you tried yet? It's there. It's still there. You've been there. Okay. Well, then you're going to probably do a good part of our talk today, I think. Have you? So have you? did you get to do like one of the tours or something like that? Wow. Man, that's awesome. Well, that's, that's something that most of us don't think about is like right now, this very moment, in Turkey is a place called Ephesus. And there are, uh, there are ruins there. There's stuff all still there and people doing tours. But it's a real place in time. And I think it helps us to think about, like when we read the letter to the Ephesians, when we read about the accounts in Acts, this is a real place. Uh, you know, there, there are a number of, of ways that we miss these little connections just by realizing that this is some real people in a real place in real time that existed, and that I think is important for us to to look at. And, and another item that we need to think about is epistles. Now, that's a really uh, funny word, I think, because we call it the letter to the Ephesians, but you've also heard it, the epistle to the Ephesians. And the reason I'm I'm saying this is that epistles are a technical term. Um, it's a term that's uh, uh, for a device that we need to understand, I think, to be able to better equip ourselves to when we read the text, see what Paul is trying to do. Because just like if I held this marker up right here, we could all say we know what it is, but to think of all the different things that we could do with it, right? It has a specific use. I'm not going to use this to drive a nail, right? It has a purpose. It's meant for writing on a whiteboard um, or a dry erase board. So, And then finally, we want to think about how do we find the point of Ephesians? How do we go through the entire text and determine what the why that drove Paul to send this to Ephesus, right? Does this make sense? Yeah. All right. So as Ephesus is a real place, uh, some of this stuff I think is pretty mind-blowing. When, when I think about the ancient world, and when we talk about ancient, we're talking like 
thousands, right? 2,000 plus years, depending on where we're looking at years ago. Um, It's easy for us to think like they must have had it so rough. It must have been very difficult, right, for us to, to like, I don't know how you stay, like, all the different items staying clean. How do you, you know, make sure that your food stays fresh, you don't get food poisoning, all these kinds of things. And it's pretty interesting to think, but, like, they, they were pretty, actually, pretty sophisticated. Uh, I, I, I'm in utilities. Like, I, I function in utility construction. And so when I came across this, I thought this was pretty awesome. The, anybody know what these are on the left here? That's, that's plumbing. That's clay plumbing. So essentially what you have below that is you have uh, cylinders that are basically made by hand, and they would connect them together and then bury them, just like we do today. It's pretty amazing. And then you have the aqueduct system that would help get that, get that water um, uh, from one place to another. So just some things like that to think that, like, I want us to have a category to not just think, like, way back in Wonderland, but real things, right? Like real people that are solving real problems and having uh, real life uh, issues going on. Uh, you probably, we're all probably fam- familiar with um, Acts 19, 21 through 41. Anybody want to help us think about that? What, what are we referring to there? It takes place in Ephesus. No, no, that would be, yep, that's in Athens. But this is, this is when, so Paul is hanging out in Ephesus. And what happens when Paul's in Ephesus? He creates a riot. Why? Why is that? Do we remember? Yeah. So one of the, uh, one of the uh, guilds, okay, uh, or societies in Ephesus are the, 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 like silversmiths, right? These folks that make images, carbon images or what we'd call idols. And their big, like, top dog, superstar deity in, in uh, Ephesus is Artemis, right? And so uh, sales are through the roof on, uh, you know, getting your Artemis figurine. Uh, just kind of like, I guess, maybe like the little, I'm thinking like uh, the little Statue of Liberty. Yeah, action figure. That's perfect. Can I? Do you mind if I take that for the future? Thank you. So you want to get your Artemis action figure, and they're you know every Christmas they're new. So you you got to get the new one. And these guys are loving life because business is booming. But this dude shows up, and this group of of missionaries show up, and they're preaching the living God, Christ Jesus, right, who has conquered death and sin. And, po- and folks are, like, ditching their action figure collection. They're throwing their, their magic books and all of the different things that are all in circle, uh, surrounding this, this, this kind of uh, cult worship, and they're burning them. And, and now pff, you want to make someone mad, take their money, like ruin their business. That'll get you some enemies, and that's exactly what happens. So they show up, and do we all remember where this riot happens? They create a riot, right? It's at the amphitheater. And so this is a picture of the amphitheater in Ephesus. Now, I imagine you had to have seen this. Did you get... You walked in it. Is it it pretty small? Like, would you say... How would it compare to this building? Maybe. I think it's larger. You think so? So, just think about this, okay? 
This thing has survived thousands of years. There's not a lot of buildings that make it a couple hundred years. Okay? So these things are built to last. The, the expression, they don't make them like they used to, that probably applies here, huh? Yeah. So it's pretty amazing to think about this. You know, just again, just the fact that this is like we're looking at where a site where something that we read in our text very clearly and see, and you can know, just like you turn on the news and know that something happened. You're reading in Scripture thousands of years later, and you can look and say, the Lord's Apostle Paul stood there and preached Christ while the whole city, thousands of people, are chanting, uh, like, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's amazing. That's incredible. Starts to kind of put a like, it kind of puts some flesh and bone on the text a little bit when you think about it this way, yes? I don't know why it's doing this. Second, uh, additionally, um, we think about Ephesus. Ephesus is, for Paul, a home base. Paul's there for like three years doing ministry, okay? Now, any, does anybody have any, any familiarity with the, uh, Ephesus and why he would want to use that as a home base for sending and coming and going? Any idea? Where, where is Ephesus located? Yeah. 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 The harbor. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll and we'll actually show that uh, later in a, in a moment. So Ephesus is essentially a touch point for the region. Um, little uh, little uh, case here uh, to think about. If you look in uh, the book of Revelation, right, and you have the letters to the churches, what's the first one mentioned? Ephesus. Yeah, yeah. And then the, and then the churches that follow are actually areas in the sur- surrounding Ephesus on a trade route that most most merchants and other folks would take as they went around. And I'm guessing that was probably part of your tour. Did, so did you make it over to like Hierapolis and um, or any of those areas out there, Laodicea or any of those? We were mostly in Greece. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a, that's really cool. So from from. Um, I am really sorry. I don't know why I have to do that. But uh, so essentially, I want us to think about from Ephesus, Paul is functioning essentially in a home base type scenario to communicate with Corinth. He's sending emissaries or, 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 or letters of communication to Corinth, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. We know for sure uh, in other texts that these these three at least are receiving actual communication right from him, uh, or he, and he's sending folks, disciples, essentially, to go and to take the gospel there. Uh, it's pretty pretty outstanding to think about that. So here's another example, so you can kind of get the idea of the region. And if you look, um, you'll see right there, Ephesus, essentially, there, you can almost see where the, the GNC just cuts right into the area where Ephesus is at. And then, and then right off to the east, you have these other outlying cities. So. Do y'all know that Colossae, like when we read the book Colossians, like that's like the podunk, like town, 
right? I'm in, I live in Queen Creek. So, like, I think about, like, what Queen Creek, everybody thought of Queen Creek, you know, 10 years ago even. That's Colossae. You know, it's way, way, way out there. And you're like, really? You live way out there? Yeah. That, and that was the problem is nobody wanted to be there anymore. All right. Now, the biggest part about this is because Ephesus is a, is a, is a port city, essentially, it's, it's, it has a harbor. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of diversity. We, we know this, right? Anytime you have traffic going, high velocity, or not high velocity, high density traffic, you're going to get with it all sorts, right? Diversity. People that want to do business, want to travel and come through an area, that's what's going to happen. And so uh, this is what we were talking about. Now, this is part of Ephesus, and uh, you can see right here off in the distance what is now like a swamp or a marsh, which was formerly what they believed to be the harbor, uh, where these boats would come in. And, you, I mean, it's just about right up to the doorstep. And then also found was this large stone slab, which essentially gave all the customs rules and regulations on, like, hey, if you're going to do business here with importing or exporting, these are the rules. This is what you need to keep in mind. And I remember a special note was the smuggling rules and kind of what come along, came along with that. So, And they, they, I think I read this is actually taller than, like, like, this is well over six feet tall, this slab. There we go. So when we move then to think about uh, Ephesus as a real place, and then we get into understanding what, how an epistle functions, uh, how many here were just thinking it's just a, it's a note, like a letter? That's what I thought. Like, it's a letter that's written. It's just another word for the you know, sending a letter. And it's, and it's not, really. So... One of the things that we need to think about and understand about this period of time is the ancient world is strictly an oral world. Uh, the people can read and write, but it's such a low amount that almost everything functions orally. So whenever you have any kind of presentations or anything, there, there's no like, re, like you're not reading, you're not, you're, you're, you're listening. You're, so you have these situations where folks would uh, give long, uh, you know, oratory presentations, and they're they're sitting here and they're they're talking and discussing uh, whatever it is that they they're uh, wanting to, and there were um, essentially there needed to be a way to communicate with people when you were not able to be there. So, for instance, if Jim wants to communicate with all of us, but he can't be here because of his conflict, he would send someone like me with something like a letter that essentially recorded in an analog form what he wanted to communicate. And that is what we believe the epistle functions as. Yes? I'm sorry. For those of us like me, uh, what is analog in uh, just, sentence? What does that mean? Uh, something that's representing another thing that's real and tangible. Okay. Yeah. So, like, instead of uh, instead of me telling you, what somebody said, I actually have a letter, and then I'm going to present it to you. So it's sort of like a, a replacement, if you will. And that's exactly how that functioned. Uh, so what would happen is, is Paul would, through the use of what's called an amanuensis, or like a scribe, or, or someone who uh, would just write down whatever was dictated, would write down uh, what Paul wanted to present. So Paul, imagine Paul in prison preaching the message, right? It's being recorded and written down, and then that would be taken to wherever, practiced by that emissary, and then presented as though that they were Paul. 
This is how we believe that many, many, many of these documents are being communicated. So you'll notice, uh, whoops, on the, like when you get to the tail end, uh, the tail end of a lot of books, like Romans, for instance, what's he doing usually? Say hello to these people. Say hello to these people. I greet you. Oh, and so does so-and-so who wrote this. <laughs> exactly. You see this? So um, because of that, so I want us to think then of the epistle as a oral document. Now, that's a weird thing to say, right? But this is essentially what's happening because you speak differently than you write, usually. Uh, <laughs> Unless you're like me and you try to write like you speak and you usually have Grammarly to step in and say, whoa, you broke it, buddy. So what would happen is, is there are these rhetorical rules or features that sort of were commonly held. And when I say rhetoric, I'm just meaning the, the, the art of speech or persuasion that were held to even in the oral documents. So what we see when we read something like Ephesians or Romans or Philippians or any of these is you see Paul is utilizing these long strings of logic to try to communicate something for a reason of what? Persuasion. Okay, is this making sense now? See how it's clicking? And so you have these three functions of rhetoric that were essentially ethos, logos, and pathos. Okay, that, that's your $5 Greek words for today. That'll be it, folks. Hope you got your money's worth. Essentially what this means is ethos is this idea of building trust, Right or establishing this kind of respect that's mutual now. I pull you into trusting me with what I'm about to tell you. Pathos is going to essentially link you with the speaker to have a shared emotion right, or empathy so that what I care about, hopefully you will start to care about. And then Lagos is, is uh, this idea of using logic, which we've already expressed. Paul loves to do just a lot of it. So what we see is Pauline epistles typically have two different canisters in them. They have two different ways of uh, two different sort of buckets of items that need to be communicated. One is doctrine or theology, which reading through at least I think you said you got through 2:10 in uh, Ephesians, heavy, heavy, heavy doctrine. A lot of this is what's true. This is what we believe. These things are real and not a lot of, and this is how you go about your day. Uh, that's the second part of the book, which is going to be uh, a life or, or how you, as he says, walk. Uh, it's very interesting because in, in uh, most New Testament literature, this, the word that you typically would utilize to communicate to live or to do something is the word to walk. Uh, and that, and then that is exactly what we see in uh, Ephesians, where, or Ephesians, where Paul is constantly saying, "Walk in such a way, walk this way. When you walk, do this. Walking, do these things." And you'll see that now as you read more and more. So when we break it down, you'll notice we have an introduction, which is essentially one one through fourteen. Then you have the first portion, right, which is what we know is true, or that theology idea, which is 115 through 321. So you guys are all still there, still working through that. And then you shift right at chapter 4 through about the almost the end of chapter 6 into what does that mean for your life today? How do you plug this in and get it to actually work for you? And that's uh, then what shifts over into closing. So that main body is going to consist of those two categories. Does this, does this follow? 
So what we're talking about today is I want us to then think about now that we understand this, we need to be able to understand what it means to find the point. Because if we know, right, the first part of the text is trying to communicate what we believe, and then we know the second part of the text is aiming at communicating how you take what you believe and put it to work, well, what's the point of the text altogether, right? Because that point needs to communicate over the entirety of the document. Does this, does this follow? So what I want us to do is today we're going to think about just what you've read already, and then we'll maybe implement a little bit more to try to think through what's the purpose statement of Ephesians. Now, I think you've already read it. If you've gone through 2.10, I think you've already read it. Any ideas? It's okay if you don't, but I think you probably will be close. Say that again for me. Okay. Any other ideas? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're really, really close. Any other ideas? You want to keep digging or do you want me to just spill the beans? What do you think, Daniel? Okay. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, uh, showing how first we, well, I guess it starts even back to chapter one, showing who God is eternally first, and then in chapter two it shifts to we were dead in our sin, and then, you know, the big but God, uh, being rich in love, sent Christ for us. Good. And now we're saved by grace through faith. Okay. Good. Does that make sense? Okay. What if I told you even more simple than that. Okay? More simple than that. So if you have your Bible, let's just... I'm, I'm, I'm busting at the seams. Let's talk about this. This is, this is one of my favorite, favorite things Paul says in the book. Chapter 1, let's start at verse 9. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... I know I just said starting at 9, but I'm going to go back... To seven, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. That's what Daniel just got done saying. That's expanded in chapter two, right? Okay. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Here we go. Number nine, verse nine. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to. To, the per, to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Now, purpose is actually pleasure. So, according to his pleasure, which he set forth in Christ, and here we go, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. If that is not a purpose statement, folks, I don't know what is. You see how it fits, Daniel? He is going after everything. 
Paul, I almost called him Peter, Paul is saying right here, right now, he has revealed to us that Christ is going to unite all things. Hallelujah. That's good news. Because right now, almost all of it's at war with them. That's amazing. Now, if we know that, right, and if we're following kind of our idea of how we try to think through finding that purpose, right, we should be able to do a couple of things to test that, right? We should not see that be the last place Paul ever talks about uniting all things. Now, having gone through 2.10, and we've talked about a few other items, what else in Ephesians hits at that bell of uniting all things in him? Okay. Verse 22? Yeah, put all things in the speed and head over all things in the church and his body from the knee and he fills all in all. This is the unity of the church. Read that one more time. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things in the church as his body from the church and fills all in all. Unite believers. So the body yeah. is the body an image of unity? Right? Wow, okay. So there's this idea of unity that's communicated through the metaphor of body, right? All right, what else? Excellent, by the way. That's an excellent observation. Chapter 3, kind of starting in verse 4, but Okay, so who does it who is it manifested to? Verse ten. Through the church. The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, right? Okay, excellent. Yes. I'd like to ring in on uh, chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-two, when he talks about being saved. He says, "Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household." Bingo. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building, there's that unity thing, is joined together, or unity, and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Bingo. Excellent. So, body is a metaphor communicating unity. Building is another metaphor communicating unity. All right? I want to talk about this communication in 310. Okay? Why does it matter that this message is communicated to the rulers and the authorities? Why would that matter? If you're going to unite all things... Okay? If you're going to unite all things in Christ, the communication of the rule and the reign of Christ by the church to the rulers and authorities is doing what? Oh, you're no longer in charge, dude. I was going to say as well, um, verse 17, so you don't lose heart. 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There is there is this very like there is the um, indicative sense in which you're saying this is true, and then there's this other sense, right? This praxis where we're saying I can be empowered to know that Christ is the one who holds all authority. He is the true general. He is the true Lord or Emperor. Right? You see this? This is yes. Good. 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 Excellent. There's more. Man, there is there is a big old juicy one hanging out in this thing. I'm waiting for someone to bring it up. Mm. What that looks like. That it's going to be one body, one spirit, one yes. Lord, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. It makes it very clear what the unity is. Okay, so why would that be there and not in the theology side? What do you think? Any to idea? encourage the church to unite around these issues as opposed to the issues that could cause dissension and um, you know, disagreement. Yeah. 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 And understand without meeting with one another, without uh, being encouraged by one another, mm-hmm. comprehend with all the saints. He doesn't just say comprehend. Right. He says comprehend with all the saints. Yep. Good. Yeah. If, if you started reading in chapter four and didn't have chapter twenty-three, it would be impossible. Yeah. To carry it out, he said, unless you know mm-hmm. what God, where you were, and what God has delivered you from, and what are the all Good. Excellent. Excellent. And he, this is great. Keep going. They're, they're all over the place. So you could literally throw a rock and hit one. It's all good. It's good. What, yep. How about, uh, uh, so this is one of my favorites. Okay. Daniel mentioned chapter two. Okay. So Paul is saying, hey, y'all were dead as doornail. Um, but God, right? That verse four. Now, what? I want us to look very closely because I know y'all just covered this last week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna 
bring it back up again, but he says, even when we were dead, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, first of all, I just want to point out, do you notice how I went from the you-alls to the we? Okay, that's that means something. You, uh, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What does together mean? Unity. Unity. Oh, there's more. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is that referring to? Chapter 1. Okay? Chapter 1. Where is it here? Where it talks about Christ, even as he chose us in him. Let's see here. Essentially, everything we just read in verse, uh, here it is, right here. Verse uh, 119. And, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but that to come, putting all things under his feet. Chapter 2, he comes along and says, guess what? He did that to the believers with Christ. Do you see this? This is, this is no, like, that's a big thing to say about Christ. But when you get into chapter 2, you just got done saying how dead and despicable and awful we all are. And then he says, guess what happened? That rich in mercy... All of those verbs are what are, they're called soon conjunctions or uh, compounds, excuse me. They're compound words. These verbs are all indicating a unity, a together with and also along with this idea. So every one of those things that he just got done saying and communicating about Christ that's taking place is also taking place in the believer with Christ. Not independently, not individually, but corporately together with him. Does that make sense? Okay, any firecrackers going off in your skull? Because, I mean, that just, that lights me up. That's amazing. Can you say that again? Yeah. All that's done in Christ, in his resurrection, his glorification, is shared in Christ with the church. Paul says you were bad and rotten and smelly and all of these things. All the stuff we know. You don't need help remembering that. We don't need help when we get up tomorrow and we have the bad attitude. We don't like the way our boss is being or we don't like what we see on the news or we don't like whatever. We know one th that those first verses of chapter 2. I never need help with that. But Paul says, this is true also in Christ. Think about that. That is not he is not like trying to be kitty gloves ginger with the with the people of Ephesus. He's like he hit them right between the eyes with the first verses, and he comes right back and picks them up and says, This is what's true of you as well. That's pretty amazing stuff. So really the emphasis is not help me understand this. 
not so much on our individual relationship with Christ, but it's more about the fact that I'm in the body. I'm in the body. So this is talking more about corporately. Okay, thank you for asking. So I'm not trying to clarify like this is not individually applicable. And I think I understand because I did make that remark. He is telling, it's so when I say you all, I mean everybody in here, but I also mean individually, correct? So those two work it together. Does that help? So when you, so you, it is true of you as it is with the whole body. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. No, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, that definitely can get trippy for sure. What do you think? Any? I see some questions going on in the mind, so I'm just curious. Well, it's like it happens to us. God does this for us individually, but it affects how we relate to each other corporately, or at least yeah. should. Yeah. So is it he's trying to get us, get them to understand how important the body of Christ is. Yeah. So uh, if you did, let's see, Christ. Okay. All of these things are true in Christ. And then all of us, right, receive that same thing in Christ, right, who is the body, right? The church is the body, of he- the head of which is Christ, Right? Who's the chief cornerstone of the building that we are all being built up to? Christ, okay? So, this is where the unity lies. Okay? It's true of us individually, but the unity lies within the body, which is Christ the head. Christ the head of which. Okay, that being said, I can't believe y'all missed this one. This is my favorite one. This is the one, this is like the knockout blow. How many verses are in Ephesians? Does anybody know? I didn't know. I had to look it up, just so you're aware. Okay? What do you think? The whole, chapter, the whole, the whole chapter. thing. Yep. Okay. There are 155 verses over six chapters. 155 verses. More than half of those verses, okay, consists of this very interesting phrase. So, when I say over half, I'm going to elaborate, okay? You may have noticed it, but it's this funny little preposition in. Also rendered often as with. Oftentimes, same exact Greek term. You will also find one. into okay if you were to do a quick poll you're going to land in 155 verses across the entire document you are going to find nearly 80 instances of this phraseology always reaching back to christ or him or some other Pronoun indicating him. It's How many times? Nearly 80 times. Yeah. You have to really go down and parse them, but they, it's probably around 
between 70, between 70 and 80 times, yeah. 155 verses. You guys see the density? Okay. Over and over and over again. Ephesians, I'm just going to rattle off verses, so do not feel the need to write them down. It's okay, but just to, I want you to feel the sense of overwhelm, being overwhelmed. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 4. Verse 7. Verse 9. Verse 10. 11. 12. 13. Verse 20. Verse, chapter 2, verse 6. Verse 7. Verse 10. Verse 13. 21. 22. Chapter 3, verse 6. 11. 12. 21. 4. Chapter 4, verse 15. Verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 5, verse 20. Okay? I didn't name 70 to 80 verses right now. Okay? These suckers are packed in there like sardines. Okay? They are in there all over the place. Remember that rule about it's repeated or referenced or stated, right? Okay? So would you say maybe this idea of what it is to be in Christ is important to the author of Ephesians, Paul? Yeah, I think so too. Paul, in his document, this epistle that he sent to the Ephesians, I would argue, is about communicating this overwhelming sense of unity to the church. We are a bunch of individuals, but we are united in Christ. And it is through our union with Christ that we then are united to one another. Think about this. Yeah. The fleshing out of Psalm 133. Shall I read it? Go for it. Yeah. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Like the precious oil on a head running down on the beard. And then the last um, part of the last verse. For there the Lord has commanded. Hmm. When you read through chapter 2 and others where it's talking about the reality of the redemptive work of Christ, it's normal for us, and there's probably a number of paradigms that create this, but it's normal for us to read it as us. I read it as though it's talking to me, and that's true. Right? That's okay. I don't 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 I don't want to tear that down. But I want you to think about what it means to be a part of the body. Right? When I told you that I think this is probably Paul's magnum opus, the reason I said that is because everything that he t- he touches on here is covered in all of his other documents. I, I, I do not know personally where he covers something here that he is not also hitting somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Down to um, how, how you should function in your home, to how you should function between husband and wife, between your master and a slave, or what we would might think of it as our working relationship to those who are over us. All of these things. Even down to... Um, how we function together, right? 
He says, you know, that you would give each other honor, right? And sub- submitting yourselves to one another. How do you submit? How do two people submit themselves to each other? How do you do that? Someone, someone's got to not submit as much, right? But it, you see what I'm saying? There's this constant uh, cycle of going back to understanding what it is to be the body in Christ. What do you think? What do you got, buddy? I, awesome. He's in the youth group, so he's going to get it all day. I'm sorry. So is Annalisa, but she's she gets a pass. What do you think? It, uh, again, it just continues to change you know, my perspective of God first. Um, but then even before changing my perspective of myself, or even how to read the Bible in light of myself, um, of, you know, it's not what Christ has done for me uh, as much as reading what Christ has done for people. And yeah, I get to be one of them, but what Christ has done for people. Um, he says... Starting in verse 13 of chapter 2, kind of going through verse 16, talking about how uh, Christ is our peace. He abolishes the law of commandments, hostility, uh, making one new man in place of two, you know, giving us peace. We're not under Adam anymore. We're not under ourselves in hostility. We're not even under the law. In Christ, people have peace with God. I get to be one of them. That's exciting as an individual, getting to be corporately part of the church. Uh, yeah. So it's just that he does that for people in the first place. Absolutely. And I, I'm so glad you brought that up. How, how, you remember this morning when you all heard Rich talk about Jews and Greeks, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not going to work. Man. So that marker is not functioning according to its purpose. Exactly. So it's going to serve another purpose, probably. <laughs> Occupying the can. All right. Jew, Gentile. Okay. Rich said, this means everybody, right? Okay, so in a Jewish mind, there you are one or the other. This term literally means the nations, okay? So this is the nations. This is the Jews, people of God, the covenant people, okay? The line of Abram, Abraham. So... What he just read is saying you no longer have two men, but in Christ they are made one. So there's no, no there's no longer a dividing line of hostility that separates the nations from the Jewish people. Why? Because Jesus is the one who fulfills the covenant. He is the one who spills the blood of the covenant, and so it is by him that you are in covenant with Yahweh. Firecrackers again. Boom, boom, boom. This is, this is right here. Paul is going to a place as diverse as Ephesus, who is full of people from all over, who are responding to the message that was first delivered to the Jewish people, from all time back, and there he is saying, guess what? You used to be Gentiles. What does that mean? If you used to be a Gentile, you're a Jew. You now are in the covenant people. 
He'll say again later on, don't act like the Gentiles, who such and such. He is saying, essentially, that that dividing line of hostility is only navigated by Christ. The nations and the Jews, the covenant people, have been united. Kind of starts to make me think about chapter 1, verses 9, where 9 and 10, where he says what? The mystery that's revealed to us to do what? Unite all things. Yeah. I get pumped about this. I love this stuff, but I want you to think about this in such a way. This stuff is so rich, right? It is so amazing to think about this because all of these things right here, these are great, like, conceptually to, like, work through. And it just will get the wheels turning to start to think about, like, the plan of God through all time and what He has done. But how does that help when you have a disagreement with a brother or sister? How does that help in a husband and wife relationship where you're both believers? All of these things, Paul is going right back to the same thing over and over and over and over again. Unity, unity, unity. Unity through the whole thing, and he takes us down every closet in the hallway to show us how it applies. So when you read for on, you start to see this is what it looks like in your home. This is what it looks like at work. This is what it looks like when you're doing this or that. All of this is applicable. This stuff's fun to know. It's fun to think about and, and pontificate over, right? But to think like, like you have to put that in your shoes. And we're going to walk the door and we're going to be faced with all sorts of instances that this reality is going to start to shed light on, right? And to think through those things. So, that being said, unity is the most important thing in Paul's mind in the book of Ephesians. Why is that glorifying to him? Because we are being more Christ-like. We're, we're reflecting Christ's work in us, God's work in us. Yeah. His holiness. Think about the fact, like, let's just think about Ephesians 2. There's some conquering going on to change that stuff, right? When you think about yourself, in that Ephesians 2 category. Like this is the magnificent conquering of God on dead hearts. Hearts that were rebellious towards him. Hearts that only wanted to chase their own ambition. Only wanted to chase their own desires. And now to take someone who wants to be incredibly selfish and self-seeking and is dead in their trespasses and sins and to transform them so that they are united in Christ 
That's ground that's been taken. Outstanding. Going to Lois's point too, in the first chapter, he talked about the perfect unity God the Father, God mm. the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we as believers walk in unity with one another, which is very different than the culture of the world around us, that reflects God's glory because it's a reflection of God. Yeah. You know, how could sinful people all of a sudden live together in harmony that that is going to stand out as something different? Yeah. And that's something to keep in mind. Often yeah. Christians will be like, well, he saved me, just me and Jesus, we get along great. Then it enter other people in, it's a problem, so that's why I don't do church. Mm. You know, that goes against what Paul is writing about. God's mm. greatest act of showing his redemptive plan is in the body. Mm. As, he, as you said, he does save us individually, but for a purpose as well. Right. And we're sort of missing that sometimes. Yeah, easily too. Yeah, that's good. And what's fascinating about that also, um, great points, though, um, is the first kind of outward explosion of the gospel is in Acts 2 with a whole representation of unity. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, I love Acts because it's kind of like the lab manual, sort of, <laughs> in my mind. I don't yeah. know, the, the example. Yeah, the bench testing, right? Well, <laughs> when, you, when you look at, you know, all the theology and the letters, and, the, and then, of course, the how to live in there, but... Acts is kind of like, okay, this is what it looked like yeah. uh, in real life, um, at least the beginning part of that for sure. So, uh, yeah, that that was, there's the so what of it. It's like, yeah, we didn't we didn't just talk about it. It actually happened. And it was not a human movement. It yeah. was of the Holy Spirit. And human movements come and go. They can be very powerful, very good, very destructive, but they are never eternal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very interesting thing to think about the testimony of the church through time has always bared, uh, bared, bore through pain and suffering, even to the point where, uh, you know, I think it's put some way where, like, it doesn't matter if they were a slave or a wealthy uh, individual, they loved one another, right? And it's just doesn't it just throws off the world. They don't understand it. No. They don't understand it. Like to think about the fact that like all of the different things that we can group up in the world to represent, and yet they the, all of those things have not st- stood over time the way that the the, the church has uh, because it is the the living Lord and their union with one another uh, through that that that's been the true test right. What do you think? Any questions or anything? Want to elaborate anymore? What do you think? I would like to focus on chapter four. Um, because if you said the first three chapters are primarily the doctrine. Mm-hmm. Once we get into four, five, and six, it's a practical. Yeah. Okay. So we know all this. What are we supposed to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of chapter four, he does bring out humility, you should be gentle, patient, and all of that. Why should we be? And then it goes into the fact that we should focus intellectually and every other way we think on the fact that there is one body, one mm. spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And that kind of brings us into the focus of we are all one. Yeah. We're not individuals doing different things and maybe we share some things. We are one. Yeah. And we are worshiping one God. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 
absolutely. Just curious, and maybe we can we can let it let it go if we don't want to. But um, I think it helps. It helps in this kind of a context if you're comfortable with it, just to think through the different ways that you know thinking through unity in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. What kind of practical ways can we put that to work? What what are the areas that it's going to touch first? You see what I'm saying? I think I think just being able to think through all that we've discussed, knowing what you've studied at you know very closely in the first two chapters up through two ten, what ways will our lives be impacted by those realities? Any any no it's okay if we don't want to. That's not always the most comfortable thing. Excellent. Yeah. And that, that a lot of times can mean like just like you sort of have to d- dismiss your passion for something at times. Does, you don't have to like not be passionate, but just sort of like for that brother or sister, I have to sort of submit that. Yeah. Okay, good. That's excellent. Any others? That's excellent. Yeah, I think again, just that's that's such a real that's so real because we we have to think about why are we reading the text, why are we studying the scripture, why are we pursuing to understand the truth if it's not going to be put to work. Paul makes a really excellent case that this this covers everything. Like you can you can apply this all. It's like that you know stuff you buy at the drugstore that you fix everything with. Okay, what movie Windex fixes everything? My big factory. Thank you. It's like Windex. You can use it for anything. Like he's like this stuff goes everywhere and it's effective, right? And that is the reality. Is we we have to realize that this is it can very easily become one of those things that we just put back on the shelf and we'll admire it from afar sometimes, pulling it down to talk about it with friends. But it's when you're in those interpersonal engagements, when you're maybe having a discussion with an opposing view, what better place to show the conquering work of the Spirit in our own hearts than to submit out of love for one another in Christ. My one of my okay, so we all know Philippians two, yes? What does it say? Have an attitude like him, right? Same mind like who being in very nature God, do not consider equality with God something to, to be grasped, 
but he emptied himself, taking on the very uh, taking on the form of a servant, right? So on and so forth. But very few times do we realize the connection with John. I think it's chapter 14, where it says, knowing that his time had come, knowing that he would return to the Father where he was before, and that all things were given into his hands. Essentially saying he knew that he has all the power. It says he takes and he removes his cloak, takes a towel, he puts it around his waist, and he washes his disciples' feet. I've read Philippians a number of times, but to think about that the fact that that was saying the same thing. What does that look like? And then Jesus says, a servant's not greater than his master. You serve each other this way. That's what unity looks like. It's profound because we are constantly batting and fighting for our own whatever, where it's built in. Right? Even to the point of, I didn't like that song, but I like this one. Zach, can you play this one more and not this one next time? You know, I don't know. That probably doesn't happen. But it could be anything, right? I believe Lois would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. The creator of heaven and earth. He took off his shirt and he put on a towel. And he washed the disgusting, non-pedicured, whatever that is that you call that, feet of a bunch of men who were going to literally betray him in moments. They were going to run off and save their own skin. And he washed their feet. I think that has something to do... Oh, no, go ahead. Christ. Understand this is a very real category. It's not just an identity. It's very much an identity, but it's a category by which we do what we we do. What we're empowered to do what we do. It's in Christ. See that? And that's that's an excellent... That was one of the low-hanging fruit I was hoping someone would jump on, so good job there. You see this? So this is just what Paul is over and over and over again. And I think, yeah, I, I, I mean, just to be completely vulnerable, like I think that 
it's probably one of the most simple concepts communicated through the scripture. And we miss it time and time again, not only because we just overlook it, but it's the first thing that we toss out the window. Because I guarantee you, we, many of us will not get down either to quad or to baseline without dropping this out the window. It's just the way it's, 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 it's built in. It's built in. But Jesus is conquering. He is conquering our hearts. He who begun a good work in you will be completing it until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? But we get to start small. So the shooting for the stars with the what's my big purpose? Love your brothers and your sisters. Be united in Christ. I think we could start there. We'd probably be just fine if we just stuck with that. I mean, right? It's going to take a while to figure that out, I'm sure. Yeah, because that can easily become that, that, okay, we're going to unite over this, right? Just as easily as we could say, we're going to unite over being center church, right? Do you see, do you see, that could even become a problem. But when it's in Christ, when that is our unifying factor, everything kind of gets burned away pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. pretty quick. And that's the gauge, right? That's the gauge that we will just test against all the time. That will be the measuring rod. Are we uniting in Christ, or are we re, are we uniting over some other some other thing? Yeah. And and many many things. Like if you're a Packer fan, we unite on Sundays and on Mondays and sometimes Thursdays to beat the Bears. It happens. Sorry, but that's the way it is. No. All right. Any last comments or anything? I pre- you guys have all been really awesome and gracious to me. I appreciate it. Anything else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you want, yeah, then I'll collect that and I'll shoot an email with these with this slide deck and uh, in a PDF. And then. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we can't, it's funny because, you know, it's like you just, sometimes when you think you can take the training wheels off, you, you need to throw them back on. I think that's what's going on. So, 
Well, I won't, I won't keep you all, but uh, I just want to say thank you again, and I'll pray, and we can, we can uh, be, be go on about our day. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Um, just, uh, Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you help us to see uh, what we've looked at so many times and just have not paid attention to often, Lord. So I pray that you would also... Help us to see what's in our hearts that we have often looked at, but maybe not recognized. So we know that you do a good work, Lord, and we know that you are about your business, and we pray that you would continue to conquer sin in each one of our own lives. Jesus, we pray that we would have our eyes fixed on you, and that we would just be completely amazed at your beauty and your glory and all that you've done, and with hearts of thanksgiving, we would just cling to the unity that you provide us, Lord. The unity that we only find in you. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, Lord. I pray that you would do a work in us, Lord, as we go out to the world. That we would honor you in all that we do. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. You guys were awesome.